0: From the Tower District in Fresno, California, you're listening to the Wake, Bake, Caffeinate podcast with your host, Eve Ryland. Now here's the badass activist herself, Eve Ryland.
1: Welcome back to Wake, Bake, Caffeinate podcast. This is episode six, and in today's episode, we're gonna we're gonna focus all on autistic history back in two thousand and seven. So we're going way back for some of you. Uh, two thousand and seven for me doesn't seem that long ago, but I'm old. All right. So there was a lot happening back in two thousand and seven that's really important because it's still affecting autistics today. Here in the United States, what was happening was the Combating Autism Act had just been passed previously in December of 2006. And this was signed by President uh, George W. Bush at the time. Now, some months later, there was a Senate hearing, the Autism Treatment and Research Hearing. uh, And that was held to talk about the progress happening here with the committee that had been made and the funding needs of this act and where that money should be allocated and and how much should be allocated. So it was really a lot of money that they're talking about here. So um this is where we see the autism wars really jump from the ugly that we're used to into the OMFG. It just amplified everything in my experience here. Because not long after this hearing. You can see some of it. The uh, the fallout. After this hearing. With the Wright family. Is published. Um, was it the New York Times maybe? the New York Post. I can't remember. I'll find it. And share the article with you. In a future Wake and Bake podcast episode. There's just so much. So much history here. We got to stay hyper-focused today on 07 and this hearing and some things related to that. So, the thing to know right now is this family fight affected every autistic on the planet. This is where the rights falling out between Katie Wright and Bob Wright happen and Katie Wright leaves. Autism speaks and goes and, well, already, I think they were part of Safe Minds and becomes a part of Generation Rescue and you know, does all the fun stuff with the, what we know as the anti-vaxxer vaccine injury movement, where they want to give us toxic cures to reduce the autism toxicity in our bodies and cure us. It's quackery. So, anyhow, for this episode, we're going to focus on the autism treatment and research hearing that was held to assess the progress made at that hearing. It's you won't hear any clips of it in this particular podcast, but at that hearing, Dr. Tom Insel speaks about autism research initiatives, the National Institutes of Health, or the NIH, and various statistical analysis that were associated with the research. So you'll, that, that's in there. I'm not sharing that here, but I may in a future episode. Um, what we're going to focus on is he was followed by a panel of parents who testified about their experiences with autistic children and treatments for the disease. And yeah, it's written as a disease. So I'm just going to interject here, as I might in other places of the podcast, but autism is not a disease. So let's clear that confusion right now. Hasn't ever been, never will be. It's a neurodevelopmental difference and disability. So this autism hearing and treatment, or this autism treatment and research hearing, you can watch the entire video over on C-SPAN back in that day. I have a link to it from internationalbadassactivist.org. And when I publish uh, this podcast over there, I'll have a link to it directly from the article this is published in as well, too. So you can watch all. All two hours plus of it. But in today's episode, we're going to hear from Senator Tom Harkin, Senator Arlen Specter. We're going to hear from Bob Wright, um, speaking as a grandparent and a co-founder of Autism Speaks. Uh, We're going to hear from Marguerite Colston, speaking as a parent of an autistic and staff member of Autism Society of America. Not their full speech. I'll share that in an upcoming episode again, but a Q&A session that happened after Bob Wright spoke um, in regards to a magazine called Discover. So the founders, they never talk about this part, though, and I found it very lacking. The founders of Autism Society of America were Bernard Rimland and Ivar Lovis. Now, we know Bernard Rimland did one great thing, broke the myth of refrigerator moms, but then brought in so much pseudoscience and quackery and stuff like that that had been completely um, debunked already. We already know that those are a problematic thing back in 2007. And if you're not familiar with Ivar Lovis, this is the father of autistic conversion therapy, of gay conversion therapy. More commonly known as... Applied Behavioral Analysis, or ABA. So you have all these folks that are talking on the Senate floor. Talk about conflict of interest here. Of course their studies show things work. They're the ones that invented it, right? So what you won't see here is any autistic speaking or communicating or even being used outside of, uh, you know, a prop. Or some inspiration porn. I mean, we always got that going for us, right? So, but you do have the founders of Autism Pseudoscience and Autistic Conversion Therapy speaking on the record to the Senate about what us Autistics really need and what health insurance should really cover for us, right? But they forgot to include us. The only thing here that's missing, the only thing here that's missing would be a celebrity endorsement. <laughs> Guess you can't have that on the Senate floor. Just bring in your your celebrities and let them talk. Don't let autistics talk. But we're going to, you know, have a celebrity influencer somewhere. Oh, wait. My bad. My mistake. Oopsie. There is a celebrity influencer in attendance on this panel who speaks on the Senate floor. In fact, they even make some jokes in the introduction about this actor working for the president, but it was the president that was in West Wing on the show. So Brad Whitford is the actor on West Wing and a volunteer for Autism Speaks that actually takes the microphone and speaks about what autistic needs and does a great job acting out some of... uh, the paragraphs from Strange Son, a propaganda freaking book and memoir or whatever, uh, by Portia Iverson, who is married to John Shaystack, and they are the founders of Cure Autism Now. Now, Cure Autism Now and Autism Speaks are merging, and or have just merged in 2007. So, there we go. Um... But what we do hear from and hear about, we hear about the magazine called Discover. Discover Magazine is spoke about repeatedly from the opening with Senator Tom Harkin um, and then again by Marguerite Colston and Bob Wright and some others during a a question and answer session. (laughs) Whoa, the truth comes out. But of all these people at the microphone, they're still not an autistic anywhere in the testimony speaking just these parents of autistics right that affiliated with these very problematic parent-led organizations and they they're speaking for us they're speaking about us and they're doing it all like we can't hear them we can hear you we can see you what the hell so let's see It just, it just blows me away, the, the, the autism organizations that were influencing legislation. It just blows me away. But at this point, in 2007, every autism organization was frothing for the potential windfall of money. The Combating Autism Act may be able to send them if they get it funded the way they want funded, and we're talking millions upon millions of dollars, a billion-some dollars over so many years. So uh, the complementary alternative medicine folks, CAM, you'll hear that referred to or seen in this era as well. What we know, or what we call them, are the anti-vaxxers, the bleachers, These are the ones that derive from Andrew Wakefield Autism Research Institute, Autism Society of America, and every other anti-vaxxer, like talk about curing autism now. These folks were involved and they wanted $40 million a year for research into their alternative medicine ideas for vaccine injuries. To reduce the toxic harm and recover autistics. They were asking for $40 million a year from this budget. So we're not playing with pennies, folks. We're playing with big, big money. And I don't know if I can get that through folks' heads a lot of times. We're not dealing with small, little grassroots organizations. And the parents just love us. This is giant money. This is big business. This is so big. There's no way autistics have a chance to fight this in their network. So at this point in time, all these folks were fighting over for that money. And I'll give you a bit of a spoiler alert. Guess what? The anti-vaxxers didn't get funded. They didn't get their chelation studies. They didn't get their toxic cure studies. They didn't get all that NIH funding. For a chelation study, that got that got mm, nicked. Um, let's see. So there was a lot they were angry about, especially missing out on that rich pot of gold autistics could bring them for their bullshit theory. So the spoiler alert is they don't get it. The other advocates were battling to get ABA implemented and the autism research funded the autism research, that they wanted funded, funded, so they, they want to help direct all this money. Um, and again, they don't include any autistics in this whatsoever. We are represented by organizations that are silencing us. We are represented by organizations that refuse to even pretend we exist out here and refer everyone to their autism community, but they don't speak about us in the autistic community. So it is the great autistic silence. Whoo, at that point, every media outlet, online medium uh, in '7, it was hopping on the internet still. Uh, talk show and print publication are saturated, saturated. And re-saturated with a tragedy narrative on autism. And this is influencing the public to demand private insurance companies cover applied behavioral analysis via state-by-state legislation. This is to influence them to demand for research on the false and fraudulent claim that vaccines cause autism. Vaccines do not cause autism. Again, they don't. You'll also hear in this episode that autism is being referred to as a disease multiple times from multiple folks. Well, here's the thing. Autism is not a disease. You folks are presenting yourself as experts on autism and referring to it as a disease is just fail. A huge, huge fail. And here's the thing. They know that. They know that autism is not a disease. But they're putting it out there like that because it gets them so much money. Right? <sighs> so here we go. Vaccines do not cause autism. And autism is not a disease. So remember that when you hear them. The media at this time is parroting the press releases of Autism Speaks and organizations they've networked with. to. Be the loudest voice on autism. And they do it at our expense. And they know it. So, the public service announcements by the Ad Council are also broadcasting the Autism Speaks message. This means everywhere you look, even public service announcements, everything you see on autism was powered. By the marketing dollars of Autism Speaks and their affiliated organizations and their goals and agendas for us. And they did it while keeping us quiet the best they could. Um, at that point, you could even sit down and eat breakfast cereal without seeing their work printed on some Kellogg's box. I mean, it was everywhere. Starbucks, schools. These groups and people do this knowing they are drowning out our voices. They influenced Legislation knowing autistics disagreed with abuse as therapy, and we disagreed with their finding a cure, which we know is prevention of birth. Um, during this era, the cure movement folks—I love this—during this era, the cure cure movement folks are called gene hunters. By the vaccine harm anti-vaxxer groups. It's like they're at war with each other now. Huge war. It's going to be so bad for everyone going forward if you are actually autistic. Because in this war, they fight each other and both sides fight us. And so we get the combined power of their uh, ire. <laughs> yeah, they're not kind They're not kind. For all the kindness they say they present, they are not kind at all. So, they never reference the autistic community. They never allude to the fact they are purposefully silencing us from representation and legislation. And we're just being used as props or a tragedy. And it does drive donations. My gosh, they're going fist over fist with money millions, you know. So, and then that, and then, and then I hear this on the Senate floor. The media is literally bought when Bob Wright goes so far as to float the Discover magazine that published the article that Marguerite Colston from Autism Society of America helped place in, with the inclusion of Dr. Martha Herbert and Divexter World will know that name. Um, and helped get that article placed in this Discover Magazine. And then, then, woohoo! we find out Bob Wright goes so far as to buy every copy of this. to be the single largest purchaser of this magazine. And it's said with pride, seriously, they bought the news to silence us. To get the information out that they wanted out. And they did it at our expense. And they did it with privilege and power we can't even imagine. So the title of that article is Autism. It's not just in the head. The devastating derangements of autism also show up in the gut and in the immune system. That unexpected discovery is sparking new treatments that target the body in addition to the brain. Pseudoscience quackery much? Yeah, so this article is by Jill Niemark, and it was published March 21st in 2007. Great timing, right? What do we want? ...folks to know about this. They want, they want this public opinion... ...influenced in time for the funding, right? The funding hearing? So. The great autistic silence can be felt so much in this. We're not even on their radar. Not really. Everyone is speaking about autism... Influencing legislation and funding it for research. And they're deciding, without us, about us, what is medically necessary autism therapy. And of course, they're referring to ABA. ABA is the thing that changes the most here. Today's multi-billion dollar market is ABA. Yep, that's a big rage to cash in on right now. So we can't escape that either. It's saturated everywhere. Every, everywhere. So, and all these folks are speaking at this time as if we don't exist. They are speaking as if we aren't already in a civil rights movement. And they definitely don't mention autistics are protesting the work at every possible opportunity with all of our might. They definitely don't mention that they are fighting us. They are literally fighting us every step of the way, too. They're do everything that they can to discredit us, to minimize us, to belittle us, to make us look like bad people so they can keep focused on their ideas and goals and agenda for us because billions of dollars are at stake here. Now, autistic-led organizations were created to try and stop the harm of these organizations and truly work for the best interest of autistics here in the United States and worldwide worldwide so that is happening and it's happening more and more every day there's more and more autistic-led organizations being created Um, and in 2021 the problem was we're still fighting these organizations for disability and autistic rights we're still fighting to get heard we're still fighting to have representation in legislation we're still fighting to break the stigma These organizations brought down on our heads. And we are still fighting to be treated with dignity. And we are still fighting to be treated like a human. Because already today someone is being shocked at the Judge Rotenberg Center. And apparently autistic people aren't human enough to qualify for human, basic human rights. So... Maybe maybe sometime in our future we can stop the shock, but for now, I need y'all to realize we are a people, not a disease. So just like in 2007, celebrities today are still speaking about autism at the expense of autistic people to support these parent-founded and parent-led organizations. It's 2021. When are they going to wake up and realize what they're doing to us as autistic people, what they are doing to us as autistic community? Ignorance is not okay anymore. It's time to stop this celebrity influencer problem that's everywhere, including legislation. And everywhere else. I mean, really, repeatedly, the voices of celebrities have influenced legislation, research, education, employment, health care, access to local services and support. And they created a frenzy of revenue. A frenzy of revenue from the donations their appearances drove, right? And then there's a stigma they launched, too. Stigma we still suffer with today. Stigma most of these parent groups refuse to Except, is their doing. They absolutely don't get it, what they did to us. And the stigma we fight today was from a lot of these warrior parents and their actions that they did on behalf of the rights of, uh, of autism kids, right? So it's just, oh, it's awful. So anyhow, we're going to go back to 2007 and watch a lot of this uh, come to play. And How silent it was for autistic people. Plus, we're going to have some music uh, coming up, too. Got three songs coming up in this episode by my uh, awesome hubby, Bill Ryland. And there's going to be, let's see, Fortunate Son, One, and Eve of Destruction are going to be the songs included in the podcast today. So, um, definitely, definitely. As always, with this podcast, is a trigger warning. We're going to be talking about everything. Eugenics, filicide ideation, suicide ideation, functioning labels, uh, stigmatized things, ABA, conversion therapy. Oh, there's so, so, so much in here. I, I'm terrible at these things. My brain is skipping um, mm, mm, but please know it is not easy and the filicide suicide ideation message in their marketing message is very very strong in 2007 and it's included in some of this work right here so um, know that be warned about that and as always please please take time for self care take breaks if you need to this is Well, it's emotionally complicated stuff when it affects everything about our lives, right? Okay, so this is Eve Ryland, and uh, let's get started.
2: Good afternoon, the uh, subcommittee on... Labor, Health, Human Services, Education related agencies of the Appropriations Committee will come to order. The subcommittee has invited a number of distinguished witnesses to appear before uh, this hearing and this committee to tell us more about a very important issue, autism. The Center for Disease Control and Prevention estimates that one of every 157 children born this year will be diagnosed with autism. Millions of families across the country are facing the very real difficulties in coping with this disease. It's tough on parents who would do anything to help their children at home while at the same time fighting to find the supportive services that their children so badly need. We hear the heartbreaking stories day after day about families just trying to get the best treatments for their children and wondering why it's their family that faces this ordeal. I know that some parents are submitting testimony for the record and I want to thank them for sharing their stories this hearing will address a number of questions. First, is the prevalence of autism on the rise, both in the U.S. and other countries? If so, why is that? Is there really an increase in children with autism or is the disease being better diagnosed? I keep hearing both sides of that. Secondly, of course, what causes autism? Is it environmental? Is it genetic? Is it a combination of both? Imagine my surprise when I read the last issue of Discover Magazine, had a big story in there about understanding autism and the subtitle is the answer may lie in the gut, not in the head, saying that there may be a direct link uh, between physical illness, physical illness, and uh, the onset of autism. So again, I'll be asking questions about that article. Third, what therapies work best for children with autism? Are parents able to find the services they need for their kids and at what cost? As Dr. Favell will point out, and also Marguerite Colston in her testimony, that, you know, in looking for a cure and putting more research dollars out there and trying to find how we have a cure or a good intervention, we can't forget that families need help now. Now, not 10 years now, they need help right now in finding the best possible support for their children. So we have two panels of witnesses today. The first panel will be, of course, Dr. Julie Gerberning, the director of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, who will talk about the incidence and prevalence of autism. Dr. Thomas Insel, the director of the National Institute of Mental Health, who will bring us up to date on some of the science. Our second panel will include Dr. Judy Fable, who has done great work with young children uh, with autism. Marguerite Colston, a parent of a child with autism who can speak to the issue from the perspective of a parent. Mr. Bob Wright, the co founder of Autism Speaks. And Bradley Whitford, former deputy chief of staff to President Jed Bartlett (laughs) and an advocate for children with autism. With that, I will turn to my colleague, Senator Spector.
3: Thank you. uh Uh, Senator Harkin for convening this very important uh, hearing on this very debilitating uh, uh, disease. Uh, We have uh, seen a significant increase in the funding by the National Institute of Health for Autism Research from $27 million in 1998 to the current funding of $108 million. And the CDC funding for autism has grown from $281,000 in 1998 to $15.1 million today. Uh, My view is that uh, uh, the funding through the NIH is insufficient. And as is generally known, Senator Harkin and I have taken the lead on increasing the funding for the National Institutes of Health from $12 to $29 billion. And during the course of the past decade, we have reallocated priorities within this subcommittee. Uh, as we frequently say, the gavel has changed seamlessly between the two of us over the course of the past uh, decade and a half, and in some years have increased the NIs funding by as much as three three and a half billion dollars. This year, with a lot of pressure, the budget resolution came forward with an additional 1.5 billion dollars and Senator Harkin and I added, an amendment to add $2.2 billion more to the National Institutes of Health. Candidly, a budget resolution is only Confederate money. It doesn't really count until there is an allocation. Uh, Senator Harkin and I are working our way up the the seniority route, and we're getting to be closer to the coveted status of Chairman of Appropriations. Only Senator Cochran is ahead of me on the Republican side, and uh, it's a great position to have to be able to deal in real dollars when those allocations are made. But uh, we hear uh, parents uh, across the country tell us about uh, their children with autism, and it's uh, 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 an ailment, a malady, which I think could be be, uh, solved if we had sufficient research intensity. Uh, For a moment, on a purely personal note, one of the leading national advocates uh, on this subject is um, uh, John uh, Shestag, who is the son of a very prominent uh, lawyer, Jerome Shestag, in Philadelphia, a longstanding friend of mine, and his mother, Marcia Rose, is a noted television personality, and uh, John uh, Uh, And his wife, uh, Portia, have established a foundation, one of the largest non-governmental funding resources for autism. And uh, they have recently joined with Bob and Suzanne Wright for the February merger of their two leading autism organizations. So it is very heartening to see uh, this on the private sector. And Senator Harkin and I and this uh, committee, and I think really the whole Congress are determined to, increase funding so we can find an answer to autism uh, regrettably i'm not going to be able to stay for the entire hearing today we are very deeply involved in the issue with the department of justice and the resignation of united states attorneys which has taken a great deal of time and i'm going to have to excuse myself partway through the hearing to attend there but i will stay for as long as i can thank you uh, mr chairman
2: Mr. Bob Wright, chairman of the board of NBC Universal, and vice chairman of the board and the executive officer of the General Electric Company. Mr. Wright, along with his wife Suzanne, co-founded Autism Speaks. Mr. Wright is a graduate of the College of the Holy Cross, received his law degree from the University of Virginia School of Law. Mr. Wright, uh, again, I thank you for your leadership in this area and for, for co-founding Autism Speaks. and. and uh, Again, uh, your statement will be made a part of the record in its entirety, and please uh, proceed as you desire.
4: Mr. Chairman, thank you very much for having us here. Our grandson was diagnosed uh, in 2004 at uh, just two two years and three months, and uh, we were helpless. We, he was uh, potty trained. He spoke. He was very active. He was uh, apparently a very normally developing child, and everything slipped away from him. Um, We were helpless as we watched him slip away into this cruel embrace of a disorder. My wife Suzanne likes to call it kidnapping, uh, as if someone had taken Christian who was meant to live yet he was taken away and we got nothing back and there's no way to restore him back to his family. He's a little prisoner. Since that diagnosis we embarked on a mission to learn as much as we could about autism. We received, uh, Christian received the best therapies and treatments that were available. But we discovered, however, that there are scarce resources for parents dealing with autism and at how thin the knowledge base is on on the whole issue. We had so many questions, and instead of answers, we were confronted with a bewildering array of theories and guesses. Here's what we do know about autism. The numbers that that, uh, Dr. Gerberding talked about, one in 150 children in the United States, one in 94 boys, that's the ratio. A decade ago, the experts estimated the prevalence in autism to be one in 2,500. Um, This year, more children will be diagnosed with autism than with AIDS, diabetes and cancer combined. Autism costs the society, American society approximately $35 billion in direct and indirect expenses each year, according to a Harvard uh, School of Public Health study. And caring for a child with autism can cost over $3 million over a person's lifetime. Those are the estimates. Frankly, Mr. Chairman, we were shocked that a a disorder this prevalent Command so little in terms of resources devoted to research and treatment when compared to other less common disorders. For example, leukemia affects 1 in 25,000 people, children, but receives 300 plus million dollars a year of support from the NIH. Pediatric AIDS affects 1 in 8,000 and is about 400 million dollars a year. And autism affects 1 in 150 and the funding level is approximately 100 million dollars. To help close this gap, we launched Autism Speaks in February of 2005 to help raise the funds that would quicken the pace of research. We worked, and together we worked with, with literally thousands of families affected by autism to introduce and pass and have the President sign the Combating Autism Act. This is a his- historic act, is considered by some to be the most comprehensive piece of single disease legislation ever passed in the U.S. Congress. It authorizes $920 million over five years for research and autism surveillance, awareness, early identification, and authorizes a 50% increase in the Department of Health and Human Services spending on autism. For fiscal 08, the Combating Autism Act authorizes a spending level of total of $168,000 to the Health and Human Services Secretary for autism activities, and within that total provides for three distinct autism-specific items. $16.5 million to the Center of Disease Control and Prevention to conduct developmental disability surveillance and research program, which Dr. Gerberding outlined, $37 million for Health Resources and Services Administration to carry out an Autism Education Early Detection Intervention Program, and $114 million for NIH-funded research. Mr. Chairman, let me elaborate quickly on each of these. First, First for the NIH, the funding increases Uh, are incremental in total. Most important, the Act uh, directs the NIH to spend those dollars more wisely according to a strategic research plan devised by an interagency autism coordinating committee with consumers and advocates comprising a third of its membership. The Act also directs the NIH to ramp up its investment in research and potential environmental causes of autism. With these new funds, CDC can expand its awareness and intervention activities to reach more parents, health professionals, etc. Previous investment in, CD- in the CDC has produced the largest ever surveillance study, which established a baseline to measure autism prevalence trends in the United States. These studies need to continue so that we can measure the true changes in autism prevalence over time. They probably aren't enough by a long shot, but you know, that's the best we have right now. It is also critical that funds be appropriated to the CDC to fund the SEED study, which is the first epidemiological study to search for environmental exposures and exposure gene-immune interactions. The Combating Autism Act also creates new and innovative state-based programs in autism education, detection, and early intervention. Early intervention, as we've heard here, can lead to improvements in speech uh, relating to learning. Uh, one of the things I would offer is a comment here that this is, a, this is something we do know, that a child who does have early intervention, is diagnosed before 3 years old and has is, is been fortunate to have active therapy such as behavioral, occupational or speech therapy, has a 50% chance of being able to uh, matriculate through a public school. If you don't do that, you have almost no chance. And what we also know is that children in the minority community, uh, average, the average age of diagnosis is 7 years old. So if you put those two together, there's almost no chance those children are going to be able to matriculate through a public school system. The two largest minorities are African Americans and Hispanics, which total almost 80 million in in total. A third of our population is in a minority community. So, I mean, this whole thing, the cost involved, the issues involved early, it's, it's, it's critically important. Mr. Chairman, the funding increases recommended by the Combating Autism Act are relatively modest at only $25 million more than the Congressional Budget Office's baseline estimates for HHS's autism activities. But the impact this subcommittee would have, by not just matching those increases, but by dictating how those funds would be spent, would be historic. By doing so, Mr. Chairman, this subcommittee would take a giant step toward fulfilling the promise offered to hundreds of thousands of children and their families when Congress passed the Combating Autism Act. The public health crisis posed by autism requires an extraordinary response. With every new child uh, you know, diagnosed with autism, we're looking at another $3 million bill over their lifetime. It isn't business as usual. I know you understand that. I know everybody has, sees this. But we see a response needed that is akin to what happened with AIDS, a crisis in the 1990s. With line item appropriations for autism intervention, surveillance, and research tied to a strategic plan. This is a late, it's late coming to recognize the prevalence. If we don't do something special, the funding won't rise at a fast enough level to deal with that. I am fully aware that the autism community is asking this subcommittee to do something which many claim to oppose in principle, namely to appropriate by disease. In fact, Congress already took that extraordinary step when it passed the Combating Autism Act. The Act, by authorizing the creation of autism-specific line-item appropriations, recognized that autism deserves no, requires this approach because of the combination of autism's high prevalence coupled with the historical neglect exemplified by the numbers you heard today on NIH uh, and prioritize autism within its portfolio, at least at this juncture. Last year, the House and the Senate unanimously passed the Combating Autism Act, and we urge you to make funding the make the funding part of the, implication, the implementation of the act as it's written, equally bipartisan and universally a supported effort. Thank you very much, Mr. Chairman. All right,
1: thank you very much. All right we're going to kick back for a moment here with uh, some music, a song by Bill Ryland. Uh, fortunate son and you can find more of Bill's music at Ryland music on pretty much everywhere yeah so uh TikTok, Instagram, um, YouTube and Facebook all right so uh here we go
0: Some folks are born Made to wave the flag Oh, they're red, white, and blue But when the band plays Hail to the chief They point the cannons at you Y'all No, it ain't me It ain't me I ain't no senator's son Y'all No, it ain't me It ain't me I ain't no fortunate one, no Some folks are born with that silver spoon in hand Lord, they don't help themselves, y'all But when the tax man, when he comes to the door Lord, house looks like a rummage sale No, it ain't me It ain't me I ain't no millionaire, son, no It ain't me, it ain't me I ain't no fortunate one, no, no Some folks inherit those star-spangled eyes Oh, they sent you down to war, Lord And when you ask them how much should we give They only answer, give me more, more, more It ain't me, it ain't me no military son. Son, no, it ain't me. It ain't me. I ain't no fortunate one. No, no. It ain't me. It ain't me. I ain't no fortunate one. No, no. It ain't me. It ain't me. I ain't no fortunate son.
2: As I said, I wanted to get back to the question. I want to talk about interventions now, mm-hmm. and how we handle how to handle those now. Now, Ms. Colston, tell me again: How old was Camden when he was first diagnosed? He was two and a
5: half w- when he was diagnosed with autism.
2: Two and a half, and um, you said that he had made progress through intensive therapy, individualized education plans, a sizable team of de- dedicated professionals. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, did that start right at? two-and-a-half when he was diagnosed? My experience was slightly different, as I mentioned. Um, In addition to having autism, he's got medical ailments that he was born with. So when he was born, he was small for his age. Um, He had horrible acid reflux.
1: You've read the Discover article, so you're going to see a lot of parallels here. You
2: read this, too, Um, then? In full disclosure, I not, not only read it, but I helped place it with Dr. Herbert, so. Um, Bob Rice says he, he individually kept the magazine afloat for a month by buying up all the you, magazines. Thank, thank you so much, Mr. Out. Right.
4: <laughs> Largest single purchaser. <laughs> right. it, it's
1: a- yes, that was just a twofer because oh, let's talk about Discover magazine. Discover Magazine back in 2007 was being spoke about during the autism treatment and research hearing where they had that parent panel. Okay, so that magazine was mentioned several times. By several different folks, and then there was even this uh, rather interesting exchange between Senator Harkin and one of the folks from the Autism Society of America in regards to the magazine and, and Bob Wright. But I'm getting ahead of myself here with that. I need to, first of all, give a huge trigger warning. This one starts out pretty hardcore, this article, because, you know, Bob Wright had to save the company to make sure this article was printed and seen. What is in this article? So I'm going to share it with you, but it includes filicide, suicide ideation, uh, filicide ideation, um, ableism, exclusion, tragedy, narrative, autism, myth, othering, and words like kidnapped my child and more. This is two thousand and seven And it is wicked out there. So, um, wow. All right. So, in 2007, a little bit of background, there was an autism treatment and research hearing in the United States of America. This hearing included a panel of parents of autistics and parents from parent-founded organizations and they brought in an actor, Bradley Woodford, to speak on autism prevalence, filicide ideation, some statistics I have no idea where he pulled them from, and more. Ah, oh, and of course, uh, at this hearing, there was no autistic included in any sort of meaningful manner. Whatsoever at all. In fact, they speak about us as if we can't hear them talking. <laughs> It is bizarre um, to see the video. So uh, I'm going to share some of the transcript here with you. But these non-autistic parent-founded and parent-led organizations did have someone at the mic, though. So although there were no autistics here that were being um, used outside of being used as a prop or uh, inspiration porn, I don't know. Um, These organizations, these parent-founded, grandparent-founded and so forth, organizations were there and had an opportunity at the mic, right? So who were they? Let's see, um, A-Champ, Autism Society of America, Autism Speaks, National Autism Association. We had senators Directors of government institutes like NIH and NIMH, or uh, National Institutes of Health and Mental Health, Um, and there are many more who were there speaking at this hearing about autistics, or lifespans, treatments, and research for things that affect us. Uh, I guess comorbidities and things. So, also included in the parent testimonies, the non-autistic. Parent testimonies, pretty, were autism myths, tragedy, and fear narrative. Autism prevalence, <laughs> burden speak, filicide speak, and just some out white, freaking quackery, including, including, chelation. So, autistics weren't included in the conversation. Instead, we had representation by famous grandparents and parents of autistics like Bob Wright, co-founder of Autism Speaks and a media conglomerate for NBC and General Electric. Through the testimony, I heard a magazine article mentioned several times, and it was Discover Magazine, this article was in. So I found it curious (laughs) that the same article and writer was repeated by many of the speakers and wanted to know what it was about. So the article they went and spoke about was titled Autism. It's not just in the head by Jill Niemark, And the article came up again. Again, well, Autism Society of America's spokesperson was at the microphone to present their testimony. And that person was Marguerite Colston. And they speak about the Discover Magazine article and the parallels to their experience parenting an autistic child. But Senator Harkin chimes in with a response to their statement and said, you read this too, then, and Miss Colston says, in full disclosure, I not only read it, but I helped place it with Doctor Herbert. So, and that Doctor Herbert is Doctor Martha Herbert, uh, full name, and that's when Senator Harkin states Bob Wright says he individually kept the magazine afloat for a month. By buying up all the magazines and sending them out. And Ms. Colson says, thank you so much, Bob Wright. And Bob Wright says, largest single purchaser. Huh? What? What are they talking about again? Hey Bill, did I hear that right? Uh, this article that the Senator and Autism Society of America spokespeople and other folks, even I think actor, does this Discover magazine. Come to find out, Bob Wright bought all the articles, all the magazines, and he kept the company afloat a month so it could happen. I think that's what I just heard, but I could be wrong. I'll go back and look at it again. But I think I need to get more high, (laughs) because this is boggling my mind. It's a boggle. It's a mind boggle. Is that almost a pun? I think that's going with a no. I tried. I am trying to pun. It was not successful this time. I'm not the greatest putter in the world. But I do have some pretty dry humor. These NTs talk with their faces so big, it's hilarious. So Bill watches these videos, and they don't make any facial expressions, but they're saying things like jokes, and he's just, like, dying, crying, laughing, and he thinks it's hilarious, and I'm just like, oh. I don't understand why it's so funny but maybe I don't get jokes. <laughs> yeah, all right. So back to this article and smoke if myth, got them. I don't know whatever we're smoking right now is amazing. <sighs> Cuz my anxiety has dropped way low and I appreciate that today. So Let's see, autistics were not included in the conversation. Going Blueberry. back to the article. Oh, what is it? Blueberry muffin. Blueberry muffin for the wind tonight. <laughs> and my silicone pinky bone I love. Can't break her. Yeah. Which is awesome when you tick twitch and throw stuff without forewarning. Whoa. I like keeping my pieces around for a while and this is a fun way to do it. And yes, I named them all and this one is called Pinky. So, speaking of... That. Okay, so autistics were included in the conversation. Instead, we have representation by famous grandparents and parents of autistics like Bob Wright, co-founder of Autism Speaks, and the media conglomerate for NBC and General Electric. So throughout the testimony, I heard the magazine article mentioned, like I said, uh, Discover Magazine, and I found it really curious. The same article and writer was repeated by so many of the speakers, and the article was titled, Autism, It's Not Just in the Head, by Jill Nemark. The article came up again while Autism Society of America's spokesperson was at the microphone to present their testimony. And that person was Marguerite Colston, and they spoke about the magazine article and how that article parallels their experience parenting an autistic child. And Senator Harkin responds to Colston's statement, saying, you've read this too then. And Colston says, in full disclosure... I not only read it, but I helped place it with Dr. Herbert. So, and that's Dr. Martha Herbert. But Henner- Senator Harkin states Bob Wright says he individually kept the magazine afloat for a month by buying up all the magazines and sending them out. And Colson says, Thank you so much, Bob Wright. And Wright says, Largest single purchaser. So yeah, I think it's exactly what I'm thinking. But here, I'm going to include some testimony, quotes from the testimony, and on the podcast, I actually I think have some audio from this. I will share as well too. So the autism article that Bob Wright felt so strongly that the world had to see and read, he actually saved them, Discover Magazine, from going under says Senator Harkin, and bought all the magazines for that edition, says Senator Harkin. And largest single purchaser, says Bob Wright. And he distributed them himself through his networks. So they got read. Okay, so I guess that's one way. I guess the um, statement or the term buying the press works here. Yeah, I think buying the press, is that apply here? It feels like it. Yeah, well, I'm going to use it. So, well, I found the text of that article, and, and I've shared it with some quotes in this article um, piece that I'm going to share with you guys online, but here on the podcast I will share the audio version. But you can find um, the testimony and the video and all of that and more to this, uh, hearing that was held on April 17th in 2007 in the United States on internationalbadassactivist.org. Okay, so, what I find is absolutely incredible are these people were at this level in our legislation speaking about us autistics without us there and they spoke about us like we couldn't hear and they used words like disease so maybe they thought they were talking about a disease but autism is not a disease and these are the professionals using this language what is up with that right it's just bizarre so and on top of that, so many of them are right there pushing quack science and health care. And when you don't have that side, you have the other side. And as NPR called it and labeled it and talked about it, Controversial Therapy Applied Behavioral Analysis, as it's known in the out side world, ABA, but uh, we know it as Autistic Conversion Therapy. And yes, this is the same Luvis therapy uh, that's being banned as Gay Conversion Therapy in some states here in the U.S. So, um... I know after this in 2007, things get wild, right? There's Pseudocides, autism conspiracy. These folks, they didn't get funded by the Combating Autism Act like they had thought they would. To the tune, I don't know, something like forty million a year. It didn't happen. Oh boy! But but the controversial therapy, uh, ABA, was touted as the hero, and <laughs> with right there in quotes, the failure rate. <laughs> the failure rate as their science evidence based and i don't know how they deemed that medically necessary cuz it was a fail but the quest and their quest for the autism cure so somehow all the talks about aba being controversial and harmful and awful stopped when it became something that you could get funded and paid for by medicaid and private health insurances um after that, all you hear about is the savior of ABA for the burden the world couldn't afford, right? So, but that NPR article is available to be read, too, um, on international badass activists. So those are just some thoughts, and I'm going to share some clips from the testimony. And those clips I've got printed out... um, So you can read them, and also if you're reading them, you see something highlighted. If there's more on international badass activists, it'll link to whatever is on that tag, whether it's their name or whatever it is, location, organization, things like that. right, coming up now is another uh, song by Bill Ryland, my non-autistic but very divergent husband. And uh, the one we're going to hear coming up is called One.
0: Is it getting better? Or do you feel the same? Or will it make it easier on you? Now you've got someone to blame You say One love One life It's one need In the night One love we've got Got to share it It leaves you, baby You don't care for it Did I disappoint you? Leave a bad taste in your mouth I never had love and you want me to go without Well it's too late tonight to, to drag the past down
1: All right, it's time for a weed and read. I got a copy of that Discover Magazine article they were touting over there in the Senate floor at the Autism Treatment and Research hearing. So if you got one smoke 'em with me, if not... I'll smoke one for you, because this is really quack attack. This is so bad. I'll give you a heads up, a little hint. Dr. Martha Herbert. If you're familiar with that name, you know where this is going. Okay, so, uh, and Dr. Martha Herbert's one of the big presenters at these autism conferences still. Right? But they're, they're back in 2007, speaking to Senate is this Discover Magazine with the article published in the March 22nd 2007 edition titled Autism It's Not Just in the Head the devastating arrangements I'm pardon the devastating derangements of autism also show up in the gut and in the immune system that unexpected Beck discovery is sparking new treatments that target the body in addition to the brain. And this was by Jill Neemark right? So this is the article that Bob Wright wanted the world to read to the point where he bought every edition of this article that came out and helped float that company so they wouldn't go under. And then he distributed This magazine, so this article could be read through all his networks. We're talking about power and privilege none of us autistics have had, right? But here we are, 2007, in the legislation uh, where it's it's happening, where they talk about it in the United States, we've got quackery at its finest. So here's that article. I'm going to smoke a bowl, and then we're going to jump right in. (coughs) Maybe a... Maybe a cannabis cough or two. All right. Autism. It's not just in the head. There were, oh, trigger warning. I gave one earlier in the podcast, but this is going to start off with the Autism Speaks Hallmark classic. Uh, a suicide or suicide ideation talk. So, this is your chance to pop out if you need to. All right, here we go. There were days I considered shutting the garage door and letting the car run until I was dead, says Colorado mom, Erin Griffin, of the time nine years ago when she learned that both her boys, not just her firstborn, suffered from autism. Brendan, her angular, dark-haired, older child, was diagnosed in 1996 at age four. Kyle, her round-faced, hazel-eyed, younger son, was diagnosed in 1998 at the age of two and a half. I think my oldest son was three about that same time, three or four himself, my oldest son, who's autistic, 28 now, so... All right, but but Kyle and Brendan's story does not have a tragic ending. After interventions that included occupational and speech therapy, as well as dietary change and nutritional supplements, both boys improved significantly. Their tale of slow, steady recovery reflects the changing landscape of autism today, the condition traditionally seen as genetic and originating in the brain, is starting to be viewed in the broader and very different light as a possible immune and neuroinflammatory disorder. As a result, autism is beginning to look like a condition that can, and in some and perhaps many cases, be successfully treated. I'm going to interject here right quick. Right, quick, because, um, you can't cure autism. You can't recover autism. This article is so full of shit and quackery to start enough. I just need to interject, and and anyone who might be believing this, don't. Don't believe it at all, okay? Oh, goodness, but it's just going to get worse, so. All right. This is astonishing news, I know, right, because it's not real, about a disorder that usually makes headlines because it seems to be growing rapidly. More widespread in the United States, the diagnosis of autism spectrum disorders has increased about tenfold over the past two decades And a 2003 report by the Centers for Disease Control suggests that as many as one in every 166 children is now on the autism spectrum, while another one in six suffers from a neurodevelopmental delay. This explosion of cases has raised countless questions. Is the increase real or is the result of increased awareness and expanding diagnostic categories? Is it due to environmental changes or all of the above? There may be no single answer, of course, because you aren't going to be able to provide when you woo. But the public concern about autism has caught the ear of federal lawmakers. The Combating Autism Act, approved last December, authorized nearly $1 billion over the next four years for autism-related research an intervention you hear that Ka-ching. 1 billion dollar budget for 4 years right so now we got everyone wanting a piece of this massively big pie so meanwhile on the sidelines of that confusing discussion a disparate group immunologists naturopaths neuroscientists and toxicologists is turning up clues that are yielding novel strategies to help autistic patients. New studies are examining contributing factors ranging from vaccine reactions to atypical growth in the placenta, abnormal tissue in the gut, inflamed tissue in the brain, food allergies, and disturbed wave synchrony. Whoa. Some clinicians are using genetic test results to recommend unconventional Nutritional therapies and others employ drugs to fight viruses and quell inflammation. Yep, folks, this is going to be a quack attack. Uh, I'm warning you. Goodness gracious. Takes more coffee and weed for this. cannabis powers. Activate, stay focused, and read. It's a weeded read. All right, so. Above all, there is new emphasis on the interaction between vulnerable genes and environmental triggers, along with a growing sense. The low-dose, multiple toxic, and infectious exposures may be a major contributing factor to autism and its related disorders. A vivid analogy is that genes load the gun, but environment pulls the trigger. <laughs> wow. Oh, wow. I think I just gave you a snort laugh too because that was just, wow. I remember that. I forgot all about that. <laughs> okay, so here, here's a nice quote and it's sarcasm. Like cancer, autism is a very complex disease. Says Craig Newshafer, Chairman. This guy here is a Chairman of Epidemiology and Biostatistics at Drexel University School of Public Health. And says, and it's exciting to start asking questions about the interaction between genes and environment. There's really a very rich array of potential exposure variables. Uh, if you are some sort of expert, you would already know this. Autism is not a disease. It is not a disease. It is not a disease. Now, I know you know this, and I know that there's a reason that this is being done. Single disease issue legislation or something. I'll get to that in a different podcast. But... You know better, Autism is a neurodevelopmental difference and disability. So, (laughs) when you can't even get that right, I really question your credibility on everything else. So, in one way, the field seems like a free-for-all, you don't say, no shit. Staggeringly disordered because it's littered with so many possibilities and so much snake oil and bullshit but one can distill a few revolutionary insights. First, autism may not be rigidly determined, but that may be derailed by environmental triggers. Second, the affected genes may disturb fundamental pathways in the body and lead to chronic inflammation across the brain, immune system, and digestive system. Third, inflammation is treatable. Huh? They're using words like may, might, could. Interesting. So we have this quote here. I can't think of it as a coincidence anymore so that many autistic kids have a history of allergies, eczema, or chronic diarrhea. In spite of so many years of assumptions that a brain disorder like this is not treatable, we're helping kids get better. That's gaslight. So it can't just be genetic, prenatal, hardwired, and hopeless. Says Harvard pediatric neurologist Martha Herbert. Author of a 14,000 word paper in a journal, Clinical Neuropsychiatry, that reconceptualizes the universe of autism, pulling the brain down from its privileged perch as an organ isolated from the rest of the body. Did you hear that? I heard it again. Oh, it's the quack. It's the quacking. It looks like a fucking flock of ducks went by. That's all I can hear is quackery. Alright, so Herbert is well suited to this task. A synthetic thinker who wrote her dissertation on the developmental psychologist Jean Piaget. Piaget. I don't know. How do you say that? Piaget. Piaget. I don't know. I have no idea. Piaget or Piaget, right there?
0: Oh, something's name.
1: Yeah, it's a name. Jean P. P-I-G-E-T? P-I-G-E-T? I don't know. Yeah, okay, so sorry. Maybe one of those was close. I don't know. So, anyhow, this gene person, and who then went to medical school late in their 30s. All right, so I no longer see autism as a disorder of the brain, but as a disorder that affects the brain, Herbert says. It also affects the immune system and the gut. You hear them, ducks? Whew. All right, one very striking piece of evidence many of us have noticed is that when autistic children. Go in for certain diagnostic tests and are told not to eat or drink anything ahead of time. Parents often report their child's symptoms improve until they start eating again after the procedure. Huh? Well, I know when I eat, it overloads my sensory load often and I can even seizure from it, so. Really, you're so off the mark here, but hey, thanks for sharing that. Let's read some more. If symptoms can improve in such a short time frame. Wow, this is just wow. Wow. (laughs) If symptoms can improve in such a short time frame simply by avoiding exposure to foods, then we're looking at some kind of chemically driven software. Perhaps immune system signals that can change fast. This means that at least some of autism probably comes from a metabolic (laughs) encephalopathy. I don't know how to say that. Oh, Bill, can you help me? It's got vowels and things. I don't know. Encephalopathy. You say it right there because that's not coming out of my mouth. Encephalopathy. What he said.
0: Encephalopathy.
1: Yeah. Uh, Oh, gosh. A system-wide process that affects the brain, just like cirrhosis of the liver affects the brain. Encephalopathy. It sounds like snuffleupagus, and I can't say it. (laughs) I just keep seeing snuffleupagus. (laughs) All right, so in 1943, John Hopkins, University psychiatrist Leo Kanner, first described autism as a now-famous collection of symptoms, poor social engagement, limited verbal and mm, mm, nonverbal communication, and repetitive behaviors. Back then, mm, autism was considered rare. Canner first reported it on just 11 patients, and John Hopkins still has records of about 150 patients he examined in total. Even within the small group of patients, other less visible symptoms were evident. In his 1943 paper, Autistic Disturbances of Affective Contact, Canner noted immune and digestive problems, but did not include them in the diagnosis. Well, that's an assumption. Alright, so one reads with a shiver. Oh my, it's a shiver. Sentences lifted out of various case histories, large and ragged tonsils. She was tube-fed five times daily. He vomited all food from birth through the third month. He suffered from repeated colds and otitis media. Okay, hello. I'm gonna just stop. None of that mentioned is autism. Not a single thing of that is autism. Now, the otitis media and everything that you're going on about, I have... I'm autistic and I did have an incredible amount of issues with middle ear infections that scarred my inner ears and I've been progressively going deaf um, most of my life. So, um, yes, I'm hard of hearing and I'm going to tell you that is m- related to earless danlos Syndrome most likely. Okay, so it's not autism, but loss danlos Syndrome is a common comorbidity autistic people have. And if you're getting these kind of infections, they're not like other ear infections. These are the kind that kill. Um, and it's incredibly, incredibly important to be seeing the right kinds of doctors for this, especially ENT or ear, nose, throat. I don't know what it is today, but it is not to be played with. Um, Yeah. I have a brother who almost died from it. There's just a lot more to that. So, um, they're talking about things we already have answers for and they just won't listen. So, we're going to go back to the article. Herbert believes that the clues linking the obvious behavioral symptoms to more basic, but less obvious, biological dysfunction were missed early on. What I believe is happening is that genes and environment interact either in a fetus or young child changing cellular function all over the body which then affects tissue and metabolism in many vulnerable organs and it's the interaction of this collection of troubles that leads to an altered sensory processing and impaired coordination in the brain any brain with these kinds of problems produces the normal be- abnormal behaviors that we call autism. Bullshit. Alright, so Herbert's full body perspective <laughs> helps make sense of the confusion surrounding the diagnosis of autism and helps justify the increasingly common use of the plural. Oh look, they're going to talk about it. The plural autisms to describe the wide variations in this disorder. Yes, back then they always said hundreds of autisms. So I I honestly did not understand what people were talking about when they were talking about autism and the tragedy. I just thought because there were hundreds of different kinds of autism and we obviously had the genetic kind, uh myself and my kids. Um They must have caught some other kind that kills their kids. I mean, it really, no one knew what it actually meant. I mean, it was so prevalent, though, in the fear narrative and the tragedy narrative and the confusion everywhere that this article only added to because it's so full of quackery and snake oil and gaslighting and bullshit. So, all right. To describe the wide variations in this disorder. So, that's how they describe the wide variations in this disorder. As Schaefer points out, children with Asperger's syndrome certainly share a lot of the behaviors of those with more severe autism. But is it the same disease? And is it caused by the same thing? No, it's not a disease at all. And Asperger's is autism. You autistic illiterate All right, so a number of significant features of autism are not part of the diagnostic schema right now, but eventually those features may end up distinguishing one casual pathway from another. How is a child sleeping? Does he or she have gastrointestinal symptoms? By looking at those things, we may see risk factor associations pop out that we've never seen before. We may, we might, it's possible, can, possibly, probably... We're hoping. They never use definite language. It's always ish, ishing somewhere. So Herbert likens autism to a hologram. Oh fuck. This is going to be fun. All right. To a hologram, huh? Hold on. Mm -mm. It takes, it's going to take, this is a weed and read and I, I need more weed. before I can continue to read. Oh yeah, let's drink some coffee too. Okay, so Herbert likens autism to a hologram. Mm -hmm. Everything that fascinates me is in it. It's got epidemiology, toxicology, philosophy of science, Biochemistry, genetics, systems theory, the collapse of the medical system, and the failure of managed care. Each child that walks through my door is a challenge to everything I ever knew, and each child forces me to think outside the box, in between categories. Oh, yeah, wow. I'm sure that language in the autistic community sounds so familiar. It is so woo-tastic, woo-woo, woo-woo, ka and kaching, Right? So here, this isn't an official warning. What we just heard is quackery. It's quackery, quackery, say it with me, quackery. I can say that word, right? And if not, so what? You know what I mean? <laughs> okay, so I put a warning with stories like this. And that morning, I included with this one. It says the quackery or natural and other products and pseudoscience practices promoted for healing, recovery, or cure have harmed and even killed autistics worldwide. And not just autistics, but disabled and vulnerable people and children worldwide. Now these extremist fringe groups have expanded to gaslight the public at COVID-19, I've been listening to them for, what, we're going on a year and a half now. Cures, healing, recovery, and many other arenas. The autistic community, were are very familiar with these quack cults, and we've been battling these groups, the very same groups today as before. You, they've just been, you can know them by their names, like the, Murf, the Mercury Moms, the Mercury Mafia, Anti-Vaxxers, Bleach Cult, um... Natural movement. There's so many names for it, but, uh, these folks and organizations also fight us autistics over our civil and human rights and over, um, getting this banned. This stuff is so awful. Anyhow, so all these names go in and out and change, but the organization's names might change, but for the most part, these are all the same exact people as they have been for the last 10, 15 and 20 years. It's really awful. So, um, and the fact of the matter is, autistics, we are not vaccine injured, and vaccines do not cause autism. So, anything that you get from these folks, they're trying to reduce the toxic harm of vaccine injury. Vaccines do not cause autism, and their children have died, and we need it to stop. So PSA also public service announcement. Don't drink the bleach and this. That's a reference to Miracle Mineral Solution and quackery galore. So going back to the article, each child's path to autism may be distinct, she says, but they may share common inflammatory abnormalities. She has shown through morphometric brain oh morphometric brain morphometric. Sounds like something off the Powerpuff Girls. Powerpuff Girls' morphometric brain. Woo! Engage. I don't know. Imaging that white matter which carries impulses between neurons is larger in children with autism. Oh. It was the most absolutely outstanding piece of information on the brain data I looked at. Herbert recalls of the year 2001 and 2002 when she was analyzing this brain imaging data. People were saying, I don't know what people, which people, what people. Don't look at the white matter. Look at the cerebral cortex. But I knew we had an important finding. Of course she did. Could white matter become chronically inflamed? Well, it may well be according to new research from Carlos Pardo, a neurologist at Johns Hopkins in a 2005 study in annals, 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 which one? Annals. All right. Annals of neurology. He found inflammation in immune responsive brain cells of autistic patients. And here we go in a super long quote. Oh God. This article is forever long. Oh my gosh, it's taking forever. I I can't actually read all of this, but you get the idea. You get the idea. I'll take you to the end, right? I'll take you to the end here. One. They talk about chelation in here. They talk about so much quackery and stuff in here and every anti-vaxxer name we're used to hearing is here. And that's the problem, because it's not just about vaccines. It's about what they do to children they think are harmed by these vaccines and the toxic chemicals they put in their body to get the... Well, they think some of them think they're parasites, right? So they want to get the autism parasites out. I guess it just depends on which cult system you subscribe to. But unfortunately, uh, this article has had a huge impact on the world. And then to hear that it was paid... Bob Wright floated the company so it could get published. And the Autism Society of America, not knowing, it didn't look like that person knew Bob was doing this. Uh, Bob Wright, uh, Marguerite Colston, I think was their name, um, helped get the article placed uh, for Dr. Martha Herbert, right? So we have the Autism Society of America. And that's not surprising. The founders is, well, you know, with, Autism Society of America, we talked about it in a previous podcast, and I've got some information on them on org as well, right? So, you can go get the scoop on them, but essentially they were founded by um, Bernard Rimland, who was totally into the quackery, and Ivar Levis, who was totally into the ABA, the very controversial rest- still know it doesn't work. Um, They touted ABA with its failure rates of like 70 and 95%. Anyhow, it was a great big hope and they used the Combating Autism Act to get legislation passed to force Medicaid to cover it. And then this hearing here that we're talking about is they're trying to decide where the money goes and that one billion dollar budget that's supposed to last over four years. And so there's a fight going on right now between this pseudoscience versus ABA. And Autism Society of America has both of them. But Autism Speaks is the one with all the power of voice because they merged all of those autism organizations into one. And so they were even speaking louder than ASA at some point, who had been around for decades. Um, but the Autism Society of America was founded by Bernard Remlin and Ivar Levis. And if you don't know why they're problematic, please, please go look them up. I have a ton of information about them um, from various sources uh, to get you started on that search, if you like, over on internationalbadassactivist.org. Okay, so I'm going to talk a lot more about these particular organizations that were involved um, and why that mattered and why it still matters. Uh, It's just shocking. It's just shocking who's there and who's speaking. We even have actor Bradley Whitford and I'm going to share his testimony here in a moment on this podcast plus a few of the others as well. So I will... Catch back up with you after that.
2: Next we'll turn to Mr. Bradley Whitford, a well-known Broadway and TV actor who is probably best known for his role, of course, on The West Wing. Mr. Whitford studied theater and English literature at West End University. Dr. Fable went to school. Illinois. Oh, no, to the Connecticut. Different Westland. Yeah. Different one. Oh, where's yours?
5: Connecticut. okay.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and then earned a master's degree in theater from the Juilliard Theater Center and uh, again, uh, uh, Mr. Whitford, thank you very much for being here and for your testimony and, and please proceed. Uh, well,
5: thank you uh, Senator Harkin on behalf of the acting President of the United States. I want to thank you for your <laughs> support. Um, on this issue. Um, uh, autism uh, autism is not a disease that um, any uh, beloved uh, celebrity is, is gonna come down with. Um, and I know that sometimes it seems as if celebrity has no um, uh, place in, in discussions of priorities, um, but I hope you will forgive it. Um, because these children uh, have no voice, and it seems an appropriate use of the uh, attention that actors get to bring voice to them. Um, I came to this cause when my college roommate, uh, movie producer John Shestack and his wife, Portia Iverson, had their son Dove diagnosed with autism, and founded the amazing advocacy group Cure Autism Now, which is known lovingly as CAN. Um, CAN recently merged with Autism Speaks, founded as you know by Bob and Suzanne Wright, and I just want to take a moment to say that uh, I know you're aware of the urgency here, but I want you to express to your colleagues the um, the incredibly proactive nature of of the autism community. And uh, it's the most heroic response um, to uh, personal um, uh, devastation uh, that I have seen in in John's family to not only take care of their family but to reach out and help others. And I know that um, uh, there's a great return on whatever investment is made. Uh, autism research and treatment. Um, Autism Speaks uh, is going to make sure that all Americans and certainly all of our elected officials understand the urgency of this problem. As my friend John has said many times, it's as if one in 150 American children was being kidnapped. What would this Congress do if that was the case? What must it do to deal with these sad facts as they truly are? I know the enormous burden of your high office means you must bear a certain stoicism. I also know that most senators are parents and grandparents. Portia uh, Portia has written a book about Dove uh, called Strange Son. Here's how she describes the kidnapping. It was his mind they came for. They came to steal his mind. Before anyone gave it a name, even before I knew what it was, I knew it was in our house. They were very, very dark things and there was no way to get rid of them. When I closed my eyes, I felt their shadows passing over me. I didn't like to think about where they came from or where they were going. It was too frightening. Dove was only a baby and something was trying to steal him away. I knew that that was what they did whenever I accidentally fell asleep. Night after night, I sat beside his crib. I knew he was slipping away from us, away from our world. And there was nothing I could do to stop it from happening. And there was nothing anybody could do, they told me. So I did the only thing I could. I guarded him, although I knew it would do no good because I could not guard his mind. And then, one day, it happened. He was gone. It is even more than just a tragedy for these kids, many of whom, like Dove, we now know to be of extraordinary intelligence, but trapped in bodies which do not allow them to effectively communicate or interact with the rest of us. It's also a tragedy for our families and for our country. A mother of an autistic child recently told me through her tears that she had been forced to abandon her beloved life's work as a nurse, not mainly to give her more time with her autistic child, but rather to purposely make her family poor enough to qualify for the payment of some of the services her child so desperately needs. She had said, the one thing I won't do, even though I have friends who have, is get divorced just to qualify for additional benefits. And then there are the cases which don't make national news, but which echo loudly among people in the autistic community. About once a month, somewhere in America, the father of an autistic child kills the child and himself to end the despair. Yet despite all of this, there is some genuinely good news. The unanimous passage at the end of last year of the Combating Autism Act by both houses of Congress can be an historic turning point. The act contains, for the first time, specific authorizations of appropriations to combat a single disease, including biomedical research, public awareness, and consolidation and coordination of federal efforts to ensure the early diagnosis of kids with autism so they can get, when it matters most, the interventions that can give them the best possible quality of life. Now the burden falls on you. I know you have many important matters before you. I also know that none is more important uh, than this. In no other case do you have the opportunity and responsibility to fulfill the commitment made by this historic piece of legislation. These are our most vulnerable citizens. It is our obligation to make them realize their potential and to make their voices heard. Thank you.
1: All right, we're going to have the final song uh, for podcast episode six coming up right now uh, again by Bill Royland and this is going to be "Eve of Destruction) mm-hmm.
0: The Eastern world, well, it's exploding. Violence blurring and the bullets loading. You're old enough to kill, but not for voting. You don't believe in war, what's that gun you're toting? And even the Jordan River has bodies floating. But you tell me over and over and over again, my friend. You don't believe we're on the eve of destruction. Well, don't you understand what I'm trying to say? Can't you feel the fear that I'm feeling today? When the button is pushed, there's no running away. There'll be no one to save when the world is a grave. Take a look around you, boy. It's found to scare you, but you tell me over and over and over again, my friend, you don't believe we're on the eve of destruction. My blood so mad feels like coagulating, I'm sitting here just contemplating. You can't twist the truth that knows no regulation, and a handful of senators don't pass legislation. Marches alone can't bring integration when human respect is disintegrating. This whole damn world is just too frustrating, but you tell me over and over and over again, my friend. You don't believe we're on the eve of destruction Well, think of all the hate that there is in Red China Then take a look around just in Fresno, California You may leave here for four days in space But when you return, it's the same damn place The pounding of the drums, the pride and disgrace You can bury all dead, but don't you leave a trace Hate your next door neighbor, but don't forget to say grace Tell me over and over and over again, my friend You don't believe we're on the eve of destruction But you tell me over and over and over again, my friend You don't believe we're on the eve of destruction You don't believe we're on the eve of destruction, you don't believe.
1: On September 26th of 2007, The National Public Radio Program Morning Edition uh, did a broadcast story about a New Jersey boy whose parents successfully sued their insurance company to force the insurer to cover their son's therapy. That case eventually went to the New Jersey Supreme Court, which decided in the favor of the parents of this autistic. So this is the story that ran on September 26th to 2007. All right, so here's the morning edition article that was uh, broadcasted on September 26, 2007. I'm going to share with you. Two years ago, Jacob Micheletti was diagnosed with autism. His parents say applied behavior analysis aba has transformed their son from a boy who was retreating into darkness 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 all right so who was retreating into darkness into a precocious gregarious kid Jake's father, Joe Michelletti, who works for the state of New Jersey, assumed the family's insurance company would cover the treatment costs. They were not, which came as a shock, Micheletti said. So he took the case to the state's highest court, facing off with fellow co-workers along the way. And won. You can see why Autism Speaks is touting this, right? told you they're everywhere government school system health care everywhere everywhere all right so the treatment when autism therapist uh, ABA uh, carry my apologies I'm gonna brutalize this name Paula Pol- uh, Kowski Pol- Pol- Go see? Oh, sorry. P-A-W-L-I-K-O-S-K-I. First met Jake. So when this Carrie person first met Jake, she says his language skills were limited. He would say hello, and you might say, what's your name? And sometimes he would say Jake, they said, of Jake's first days in treatment. Treatment. Oh, Sometimes he'd say, what's your name, Jake? So, you know, a lot of repeating what the other person said. Polikowski runs Child's Play, a therapy center in Branchburg, New Jersey. During the school year, Jake spends five and a half hours a week working with her and therapist Daniela Simon. They work with Jake on skills he can only learn through intense Repetition. That's what you think. Among other things, they spend hours practicing how to answer a question with an appropriate answer. Oh, boy. All right. Uh, But despite the potential of the treatment, the insurance company said they would not cover the cost. What they said when they rejected me was that the treatment was not restorative. It didn't restore a previously existing function, Micheletti says. Jake was three and a half, and he had never spoken before. The insurance company thought, why should we give him verbal behavior therapy to make him speak now? Oh, here, gotta hear this sentence. The insurance company may not have known who they were tangling with. I'm going to pause right now, and I'm going to go make another cup of coffee, and then, oh, goodness. All right, back with some hot, fresh java. I can go, going back to the NPR article, this next section is titled, The Battle Ahead. Oh, the language is weary. Oh. So weary. Micheletti is a deputy in the state attorney's general office. He was to sue the state health plan. Let me start again. All right, the battle ahead. Micheletti is a deputy in the state attorney general's office. If he was to sue the state health plan, he knew he would have to fight his own boss. End quote. The office was very mixed. There are people there who have worked with me for a long time. Career deputies who were very supportive, Michelletti says. There were administration officials who were not that supportive. They did not appreciate one of their own challenging them. Michelletti lives with his wife and three kids in Milford, New Jersey, about an hour away from his Trenton office, Elizabeth. Mitcheletti, Jake's mother, is a stay-at-home mom who used to work as an attorney, too. When the family decided to launch the lawsuit, the couple turned into a crack. Legal team and their writing styles and legal approaches meshed. Joe is so good with strategy, but I don't think he is as eloquent as I am, Elizabeth says, laughing. The case dragged on, even after the family won in the lower courts, the insurance company. Refused to pay. Mm. So before the New Jersey Supreme Court, Michelletti argued against one of his colleagues in the AG's office. The court's justices were clearly peeved (laughs) that the state-run insurance system continued to refuse to pay for Jake's therapy, even after a mandate from a lower court. Hmm. Assistant Attorney General Louis A. Schindelin? S C H E I N D L I N? I don't know. Told the court that the insurers just wanted to ensure that the therapy was legitimate. The concern is consistent with this general practice of checking who is providing therapies that general said to the court, give us your therapy notes so we can check the patient's progress and we can ensure that appropriate utilization and medical services is being provided. When a decision came down earlier in September, the Supreme Court ruled in favor of the Micheletis. The judges ordered the insurance company to pay in full for all of Jake's therapy. So... Growing demands for coverage, says here, many insurance companies say they will not cover ABA because they view it as experimental and unproven. Let that sink in. Oh, and some more coffee while that's sinking in. And yes. Many insurance companies say they will not cover ABA because they view it as experimental and unproven. The New Jersey State Health Benefits Commission declined to speak to NPR. NPR contacted a number of private insurance companies, such as Cigna and Aetna, Those companies declined to be interviewed, but they did send regulations that state they won't cover therapies considered experimental, including ABA. Pamela Greenberg of the Association for Behavioral Health and Wellness says there's just not enough data on the effectiveness of ABA therapy. Yes, there are examples of where ABA has been very effective. And there are other examples of situations where it has been very harmful, Greenberg says. Coverage decisions need to be based... Coverage decisions need to be made based on the best possible medical evidence and not just on the experience of a few cases... (laughs) You know, that logic coming through here sounds like the same logic to use vaccines cause autism. This group or saying ABA fixes, recovers autistics from being autistic. You hear it? It's the same pattern. Pattern point noticed. Hmm. But they got one through, did they? And they Didn't get the other ones through. All right. Just swelling that away in my brain. Network. All right. The Micheletti's victory comes as parents of autistic children across the country are pushing for better coverage of this disorder. But better coverage for some families may mean higher premiums for everyone. That presents a dilemma for insurance companies, according to Mohit Ghost g h o s e of america's health insurance plans the question then becomes do you provide that through the healthcare setting oh i see do you provide that through the healthcare setting or do you provide that through the educational setting as many states have traditionally done he says uh South Carolina and Texas have passed laws this year requiring some insurers to cover autism therapy. And the Pennsylvania House recently passed its own bill as lobbied by Autism Speaks and the Autism Can Ball. Hello, autistic history. We see you. So when South Carolina's governor tried to veto his state's bill, he said one reason was that it would raise premiums by an estimated $48 a year. That veto was overturned. There's currently a bill before the New Jersey legislation that would mandate coverage for ABA. A state analysis concluded the bill would raise premium costs by less than 0.5%. Mm-hmm. So, let's see. Jake's progress with therapy. What do they say about that? Hmm. Right, so Joe and Elizabeth Mentaletti are overjoyed watching Jake play with his siblings. A year ago, they said Jake largely ignored his brothers. Even though his affectionate five-year-old is making great progress, he still gets confused about how to phrase a question. What you can hug, Mommy, Jake asks his mother Elizabeth. She quickly corrects him. When can you hug mommy? <laughs> like a lot of parents, the Mitchellettis desperately wanted Jake to succeed, not simply to get by. The Mitchellettis felt like they got adequate services from their school system. Jake has an aide in his kindergarten class, but their neurologist says Jacob would benefit from more intensive therapy. Elizabeth says her son has a right to thrive. <laughs> Oh, they're going to go into autism rights. It's painful because their idea of autism rights is ABA covered and everywhere. It's painful. All right. The standard for a school to teach autistic children is that they are making some progress, she says. So their goal is not to recover or cure your child. Their goal is to show some educational progress. I'm sorry, but isn't that what school means? Okay, and schools are not medical professionals, Jake's father adds. They are not doctors. They are not they're to cure your child. Oh jeez. Therapists concede that some children won't flourish the way Jacob has. No shit. The ninety-five percent fell rate to fifty percent fell rate duh. What the hell? <sighs> mm, mm, mm. All right. Frustrated. Frustrated. Yes. Okay. So while the Micheletti's adventure is dramatic, it doesn't answer the toughest questions. What are these children entitled to? How much therapy should they get? And who? Who should pay? So the radio piece was produced by Marissa Pinaloza for NPR back in 2007. So with all these Autism Speaks and affiliated parent-led organizations that are using ABA to save autistics from being autistic, I put this note warning in with these stories so people understand that that's not, but they've been told there's so much more they don't understand. But autistic people have fought the inclusion of ABA therapy for us since before Autism Speaks. Another non-autistic-led autism organizations started lobbying legislation to get it covered by insurances and Medicaid. ABA is a myth originally sold to parents that it would keep their autistic child out of an institution. Today, parents are told that with early intervention therapy, their child will be either less autistic or no longer autistic by elementary school and can, ha- and can be mainstreamed in typical education classes. ABA is very expensive to pay out of pocket. Essentially, autism speaks in organizations like them, with them, I've justified the big price tag up front will offset the overall burden on resources for an autistic's lifetime. The recommendation for this therapy is 40 hours a week for children and toddlers. The original study that showed the success rate of ABA to be at 50%, and that's being generous, because it's 50 to 95% fell rate, has never been been replicated. In fact, a study of ABA by the United States Department of Defense was denounced as a failure, not just once, but multiple times. So, simply stated, ABA doesn't work. In study, after repeated study, ABA, Autistic Conversion Therapy, doesn't work. More recent studies do show autistic who experienced ABA therapy are at a high risk to develop PTSD, another lifelong trauma-related conditions. Historically, the autism organizations promoting ABA as a cure or a solution have silenced autistic advocates' opposition. ABA is also known as gay conversion, therapy. So that's the warning for ABA that I include with every piece of anything I think it needs to be shared with. So uh, there is that. Um, Yeah, let's go for another song now, okay? And then we'll come back and wrap this up and Whew, then I can jump back into the archives and find some more fun stuff, huh? All right, let's hear what Bill has to sing today. Okay, that wraps it up for this episode of Wake, Bake, Caffeinate. And wow, what a long, hard look at some autistic history in 2007. There's going to be a lot more coming soon in future episodes about this era and how how it affects us still today. So-